Hello and welcome along to another special edition World Game Podcast. I'm your host Lucy Zellich and joining me in the studio to discuss the Socceroos' latest results against Norway and Colombia. It's a very warm welcome to the ever-sparkling, the ever-brilliant David Bashir Bashola. Welcome to you. Lucy, how are you? I'm going very well. Very well said. And that man that you just heard there is SBS Chief Football (laughs) Analyst Craig Foster. Also another brilliant, brilliant man. Uh, Welcome to you. Unnecessary. Unnecessary. You would have preferred I just left that for Bash, I would have, exactly. Uh, But you're not exempt. Um, Let's start off by getting into what we've seen from the Socceroos uh, in the last couple of days. Of course, Norway, the result there in Oslo, 4-1. Quite shocking and disastrous in many respects, Foz. But what was your take on it? Hard to watch. Um, a big change. Um, you know, the, the plan of the last few years, according to, you know, the, the whole of football plan and what I thought was a national direction, it's all been thrown out, it's been, it's been burnt, it's been thrown up in the air, whatever you like to say, and, uh, and all of a sudden it's a short-term, um, not just appointment, but obviously way of playing. It's very different for the players. I think it's going to take them time to get uh, suited to different instructions and a much more reactive way of playing. The, there's many issues with that. Firstly, as you know, I don't believe in it. I don't believe it's in our either short or long-term future, and particularly the long-term. Uh, someone was, uh, one of the guys here at SBS actually said it fabulously. I was just talking to him about it, and we're all concerned, and I'm sure all the fans are, about what's going to happen in the World Cup and how we're going to play. And and what he said was, we're just look, we're basically going to go there. We're going to allow teams to play. That's what happened against Norway and Colombia. We, we, we can make average sides look good now. Uh, we're not going to really challenge them, in my view, according to my understanding of football anyway. We don't press. We're not going to really try and press our advantage. We're, I, I think it's contrary to our Australian DNA anyway. That's only my personal view. I know there'll be many who disagree, and that's, that's football. But what he said is, yeah, but Foz, that's not the dream, is it? And uh, uh, Munzi, Ken Munoz, I said, what do you mean? He said, well, that's not the dream, is it? The dream was, the dream is that we can think that one day we might be able to win it Mm. and that we're trying to learn how to play. So I said, exactly right, Munzi. That's exactly right. Uh, That was the dream. Um, I still think it is, but it's been thrown out on a short-term basis uh, by FFA and they've just gone and hired a guy who, quite frankly, um, is, is an accomplished coach, he's an experienced coach, that's all fine. I don't think, and I wrote about it when he was appointed, I don't believe he's going to bring us anything new. I don't believe he's going to contribute anything. He'd be getting a couple of million dollars to go there uh, and play what is a very ordinary system. Um, and I believe that there's a, a large number of coaches within Australia now who could do exactly the same mm. thing, equally as well, if not better. Bash, anything to add to that? All I would say is that this is a risk aversion appointment. And what I mean by that is that, that they've... The FFA, in their own minds, can't afford any more uh, bad news, a disaster and so forth. Now, they may even get that with Van Meijerwijk because he's going to coach differently to Ange Postecoglou, different from the plan. We all know that. But they appointed a tournament coach that they hoped would get Australia out of the group. I don't think that's going to happen, just just quietly. And I think we're going to play some pretty turgid football along the way. So... Do I think it's a good thing for the country? No, I don't. Do I understand why they've made the appointment given their, their pedigree and the way that they do flip-flop? Yeah, I understand that. You know, I, I, and, and it's, no, it's no justification for it. It just, you know, I could see it coming. The biggest problem that's come out of this, particularly the result against Norway, is that a lot of people started to point the finger at the players, certain individuals, yeah, and single them out. Yeah. Um, even in, in Van Marveik's case, whatever you think of him, irrespective of mm. your opinions of him as a coach, yep. realistically, neither he nor the players should be absorbing any of this blame. It has to be levelled at FFA because they are the ones that put him in charge. But further to that, Foz, obviously, with Postacoglu's departure, it put them in a situation. I've been told that they knew about his departure well in advance. Well, I'm pretty sure everyone knew. And, 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 you know, how it looks on the surface is that they've had to make this rush appointment that Van Marveik was available and that, according to Lowy and Gallup, he was their first choice. Mm. Um, had we been better prepared, could we have seen a different appointment? Well, yes. So there's a number of points around that. Number one, I, I hope that... Uh, Bert gets Australia out of the group. I think it's important for the game here. If we get out of the group playing the current way and in a very reactive way, I think there's probably some damage from that in terms of my view about our long-term dreams. Uh, However, 
So in other words, I still won't agree with the way of playing, but I will be pleased that we've got out and, and that's going to be good for Australia. Um, but I think it'll only muddy the view as to how we should play and, uh, and I think it'll make more people incapable of holding to a long-term plan and a, and a solid vision of the game. So, uh, but I certainly I'm wishing him well um, and I'm wishing the players well and I'm hoping that we'll get out. I'm not saying that we can't. Um, anything's possible. Uh, but if we're going to concede uh, initiative to the teams in our group, we, we can be in a lot of trouble. Um, when, it, when it comes then uh, to the appointment, what you would have hoped is that you can bring people through. Uh, now it's been nearly four years. So essentially you would have wanted uh, one of the either youth national coaches or assistants to have been ready to step up and take, look at Lopetegui for instance for Spain. So there's two different models. We've gone backwards to an old model. Australia used to say, whoever is the coach of the day, we get them and they can do whatever they want. And that's what used to happen. I mean, we had Eddie Thompson, we had Raul Blanco, they brought in Venables at one point, was the first coach in my, and I had all of those. Venables was the first coach who said, you guys can actually play and wanted Australia to actually go and do something, right? Um, the, so that was the model then. We've gone back to that model because now they've appointed Graham Arnold. So they've changed the model despite the fact the whole of football plan, someone told me, you'd need to check, is only three years old. Uh, that, that's all been thrown out now. So I would have hoped that you could um, progress people through by now. However, let me say though that a lot of that also rests on the culture and the fans and the country because um, quite frankly, and I go back to what I wrote when Vibawa took the job, with respect to him, he's an accomplished coach. However, I've seen what's happened with the Dutch over the last 10 years. Um, they have fallen behind, that's clear. Um, they offer us nothing anymore, absolutely zero. In fact, the thinking in this country, is, this would be difficult for people to understand, but the thinking in this country has actually exceeded them. Perhaps not in terms, in some elements of creating players, but in terms of the variation of football, Australian coaches are much more interested. Australian coaches are becoming more akin to Italian coaches in their understanding of tactical variation than they ever are going to be to the Dutch again. The Dutch are very similar to what Van Marwijk is doing. Most of them want to be proactive. Nevertheless, it's a very positional game. Like when we played Norway, I said after the game, listen, if Norway have more movement than you, you must be in trouble. Yeah, Norway. So Norway is a country that's historically had very little movement in the game and they were using their sixes in a much more sophisticated way in my view than what we were doing. We are just shoving them in the centre of the park, playing positionally and trying to flog the ball into there and getting in trouble. Um, they were moving them outside, similar to what many teams now do in the A-League. So uh, people, I think, need to separate still, and I say this with the greatest respect, but the quality of players that we currently have now and, and right across the A-League and the quality of thinking of all of the top coaches here because they moved on a very, very long way. And those coaches will be watching that game and going, come on, Bert, you're, you're, you're joking. There's not, you know, you're not trying to cause any problem. For us, we look at it and say, look, that's just a really basic system of play. Mm. Um, it's one designed to keep him, I think, in a position where he can just eke out a few results. If he gets out of the group, he's a genius. If he doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's only Australia. That's one of the problems I have with the appointment is because they don't think that we can play. But uh, I know there's pessimists around, but I'm, I'm an optimist and I believe that when Australia um, goes and is aggressive against opponents uh, and we want to play and we can we use a system of play that's going to cause them some problems and give us the opportunity to do so that we can. I'll tell you a quick story about Germany in, in South Africa, right? So we got belted against South Africa because we didn't try and play. And as everyone knows, you know, I probably went a bit overboard. But the thing is, the, the, us going into a World Cup or any game really and just capitulating and saying that just a 2-0 loss is good enough for us so we can get out of the group, to me, is against the Australian DNA and I don't believe it's in the interest of the game here. Not just our results at the World Cup, but everything we do there reflects on all the kids here, reflects on the game broadly. 
I think Australia, to accept our game, to become the number one game in the country, needs to see us playing in a certain way. That's just my views, right? Can so, I just ask yep. you, though, uh, before you go on with yep. the story, yep. in terms of when you bring up the term mm-hmm. DNA, mm. what is in the Australian DNA? Because we are now at this juncture very confused. Yep. It, yeah. Nobody knows yeah. what's going yeah, on. Yeah, you yeah. made a comment on air after we, we did the game Peru yeah. v Croatia. Yeah. That it's obvious we have no plan. But when yeah. you talk about DNA, yeah. what is in our DNA? Well, my understanding of Australian sporting DNA is to be aggressive, to be attacking, uh, to never take a backward step. It's that simple, right? So I believe that Australians, certainly I, would rather lose a game 4-0 trying to win than lose a four game, four, than lose 4-0 trying not to lose. Mm. That, to me, encapsulates the Australian sporting ethos and, I believe, the national culture. Um, you, we can have a big debate around that because the, the population and the face of Australia is changing rapidly and so on, and perhaps that's changing without me understanding it. I don't know. Mm. But that's my view of what Australia... That's the Australian sport I know, it's the Australian sport I love and that I grew up with and that I believe in. And I believe when we do that, we are at our best. And I see a, I see a team currently trying not to lose, playing the margins, and we can make Norway look great, we lose, we, we cop four, we can make Colombia look fantastic in the second half because we're not really seeking to disrupt them. Just back to that Germany game, right? So what, what summed it up for me was that um, I spoke to one of the technical staff after that game a couple of days later and we met, I was travelling with Les, I think, to the next game and we met up with them at an airport or something from memory in a cafe and I said to them in reasonably colourful language, what was that? Right? And one of them, who was Dutch, turned to me and said, Craig, that's Germany. And I said to him, no, no. See, that's the problem. To you, it's Germany, because you've got a whole history with them. To us, it's just another team who we want to have a go at and see if we can test ourselves and put them under pressure. I said, it's not Germany to us. Right? Okay, they're quality, but we want to go at every opponent and see where we stand. And he, they couldn't understand that. Mm. I couldn't understand that. You know what, you can talk about it within the the sort of philosophical framework of Australian football, and, and I understand what you're saying, but the way I look at it, I just sort of parked that aside when I saw the appointment, and I thought, well, I know what he's, they're going to get. They're going to get a tournament coach who wants to get a result and try to save something from the ashes of a disappointing qualifying campaign by changing the philosophy totally, right? I don't agree with it, but I, I think I, I'm just looking at it for what it is. And what it is is a guy who's just going to try to eke out results. Now, I think Colombia in the second match and moving forward, the Hungary friendly, I think we should be... Don't you think we should be judging Van Marwijk on his ability to coach within his framework? I understand the Only in part, no, we should... Well, no, I'm not, I'm not judging Van Marwijk. So, yeah, you're right. I've said, listen, he can do whatever he likes because that's what he was appointed he, for. Exactly. Yeah, so That's exactly right. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. so I'm not talking about Vemo. I'm I know you're talking about, about the wider the, the, issue. Exactly. Which, I understand which that. But it's you know, extremely important. At, the reason being, the original question was, are we confused? Yeah, and my and I don't don't forget, I coach out in the community, and a lot of people are saying, well, to me anyway, I guess they know I'm biased, but saying, look, what, where's the plan now? Mm. Where's the plan? So the real question comes down to. Uh, do you believe, as a smaller country, that we are better off having a consistent plan and working towards a vision, or do you believe that we just go with whatever the coach at the time is capable of doing? I think you absolutely yeah. must that's work for a plan, a long-term okay. plan, because that's the right. only way we're going to improve as a football okay. nation. Right. Okay. So you're 100% yeah, right. right. But let's park but that. So you're saying about Van Marwijk? Well, so I how just, are we going to judge Okay, him? so um, my question to yeah. you, and Luce, I think this is an interesting one. Mm-hmm. When Venables came in, yeah. was he a, I just want to go back and re- revise yeah. that. Was he a marked difference to what you had? I oh, think it's it massive was, difference. So how long did it take the players to integrate no, his... No, nothing. It took nothing because that was also a very good team, right? You know, we had we had uh, Lucy's brother, and you know that was a high quality yeah. team. Um, so it took nothing, and I think the reason it, it took nothing is because a he was highly skilled, uh, and he'd learned it at Barca. Right? But that was the first time that I looked at it and said, okay, this is what the players want. This is what we believe in, and. Um, this is a coach saying, I came here and this is where I see the cycle. So what, what annoys me 
I can understand it, but it's sad that we keep going in circles, is when they go and have a bad game, and Vermark only had three days or two days, all of a sudden Bailey Wright can't play and this guy can't play and that guy can't play. The same thing happened in the last campaign and the one before that. Oh. All people do is just go, oh, the players are rubbish. And uh, I don't agree with that because when you give them the opportunity to play in the right manner, well, they're okay then. All of a sudden they become crap. And I think it's because in football you can look uh, sort of at the superficial level or you can look at the way they're playing and, you know... It maybe takes, I, I think that's why it's important to, to educate everyone. And we've got a problem there now because our media stopped educating. Mm. Um, not that we know everything. We, don't, we hardly know anything. But what we have, we've got an obligation to try and share because we need to be an educated and literate football culture. Why? Is because we've got a big challenge ahead. If Postacoglu stayed, here's a question. Yeah, yeah. How long would it have taken him for consistently... For consistent attacking football to be played, and I don't mean 2014. What do you mean by consistent? Well, I mean consistent winning attacking football. Right. Like 2014 was the start of the journey yeah. at the Look, World we Cup. Don't, I don't know that. Okay, so I that's. That. I All suppose... I'm saying is that I believe we're capable of doing it and still qualifying. And what we need to do is to go to the World Cup and continue to do it, and continue to see where we're deficient. So what happens now is that's what happens. We say, well, our players are just rubbish. So we never actually are able to test ourselves against where our frailties are. Mm. Unless you say, like some say, oh, we can't defend, so all of a sudden we have to focus on defending in this country and we all sit back, right? Um, it, it, it's a philosophical discussion, but to me it starts with a long-term vision and you work backwards. At this, this way of working has gone back to what we used to have, and that is starting with the immediate and trying to work forwards. And I see every country doing exactly the same thing, uh, and most of them get absolutely nowhere. And don't forget, there's only been eight nations that have ever won the World Cup. All of them are considerably larger than us. We have to have something different. If we're going to play 4-2-3-1 and do the same as bog standard 95% of countries, it doesn't matter how good our players are. Forget it. It's not happening. Just to play devil's advocate, Bash, and I'll loop you both in on this, mm-hmm. How much of the situation that we've been lumped with um, do we just have to treat in isolation? I don't think we should, but I'm fr- you know what? After so many years covering it as a as a journalist and a commentator and so forth, I saw Pim Verbeek chuck the chuck his any sort of philosophy he had out the window against Germany. He panicked, and they played a, a very basic system and got smashed. I don't agree. But the with players that. didn't want to play. I know they didn't, yeah. and I I know that. But the point being. I, it's such a frustrating argument to have because it's they, sh- they shouldn't have had the appointment for the reasons outlined. I understand that, but we've got him. So what are we going to learn from this World Cup? You're saying not much. I, I hope. Well, no, I don't think we're going to learn really anything, but I'm saying I hope that he's able to in the next two, 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 um, two games. I mean, according to the way he plays and what he believes, he's an accomplished coach. We're not talking about his competency. We're just talking about what he's trying to implement, and exactly. that it is a big, it is a big jump back. So I, that takes time. You know what I hope? I hope the players can adjust to his philosophy and do something this World Cup. Not because I yeah. believe in his style of football, because yeah. but I love Australia we and I want it. them to do something exactly. at the World Cup. So That's but, it. the game needs it. Look yeah. where the game's at at the moment. Well, We're it's in dire. It's in dire. It's in straits. So we don't need a, a poor World Cup. But where I differ from most is I say, look. I believe that Australia, firstly, long-term, we need to go at teams. That's what we are. That's what's going to get us there. I think we're closer to Chile than Italy, mentally, Mm. culturally, um, physically. um, I mean, with the gifts that we have in in order to be able to work as a team and shut teams down. Not many teams. You know, all the coaches come in and say the work ethic's unbelievable. That's right. We'll use it. But you don't use it by sitting in your own half. Uh, but also, I don't think that it reflects well on the game. I don't think it helps the game in selling our game to go and just try and eke out results um, and hope that we're going to get through. I believe that the majority of Australia, because it includes me, sits there and goes, well, is that really us? So the subsequent question to that is, Bash, I'll start with you. Are we going to get that with the long-term appointment, which has been announced recently, Graham Arnold? Not in the proactive way that we want to express our football. No. And there's the flaw in the short-term no. argument. When I'm talking philosophically, what yeah. I'm saying is it's been thrown out for the next four years. Exactly. And that's nothing against Graham's success no. as a coach or no. his... Very you know, he, he, play, he coaches the way he he coaches, right. Right? He's very good at it. And he's good at it. But he's, he's not going to coach in the way that 
we want to develop as a football nation. So that's that's the frustration. I suppose I don't, I'm just sick, sick of talking about it because they come up mm. with a plan, they mm. chuck it out the window, yeah. and the, I understand why. Because if you if you if you um, if you appoint a Bielsa, it was more chance to be an, a complete short term disaster than it was a success. Probably because right. he walks. Probably just because he walks. No, there wasn't more chance to be well, a success. Well, on. look at his history. I'm not saying him there as a coach. There was risk he, associated. Was a, yeah, but not more risk than less. Come on. Well, if he walks, there's a risk. Yeah, but you're saying there was more risk that he'd well, walk well, than he would What do you stay. reckon, given his history? I'm not talking yeah. about him as a coach that once he gets his teeth in yeah. and can develop a nation, yeah. but his history of, of bailing when the environment's not right for him. That's oh. my only question about yeah. that appointment. I'm sure they were tempted. Maybe you need they to understand weren't. the environment. You need to understand what he needed. You understand what he was. Exactly. I don't know. And, and I mean, maybe it, they couldn't this... afford him. I don't know. Well, I just... well apparently and it was down to finances and also well, that he wanted no. to bring... Uh, well, okay. they didn't speak to him. My understanding is they didn't speak okay. to him. They might have spoke to an agent who said he was representing him. I spoke to people on his old staff who had direct contact with him and said he wasn't spoken to. Uh, and... He wanted them to come there and had a discussion because mm. he wanted to know about context. Well, that makes sense. And I sense. thought so would they. In fact, I, I said to them, listen, um, I know people who are on his former staff. I know some of them very, very well. Mm. Um, and, you know, I think a meeting would be worthwhile for both parties even before you get to your shortlist. Go and sit in front of him and say, can you work under these conditions? What conditions do you need? And are we going to have an unhappy marriage? And have the discussion. You know what? I... I, I to put a lot of spill to it, I, yeah. I, I, I looked at Bielsa as like a hot girlfriend that I could never get yeah. and, and never be able to handle. And so yeah. what I mean by that, Nick, is that... Um, what, she's throwing pots and pans in your head at the kitchen? or <laughs> Not so much that. It's just that it, I, I think he just would have looked at the environment here going... Yeah. And he would have shaken his head and gone... Uh, even if they appointed him, I don't think he would have got what he... Mm. thought he was going to get as far as support goes. That's my point. Like your hot girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> like the hot girlfriend that you're never going to get, Bash. Um, by the uh, way, all uh, your girlfriends have been beautiful. They have. And including your people. current girlfriend, yes, by the yes, way. Yes, Very true. much so. Um, but the, 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 Thank you to the peanut gallery. Um, but the, the subs, again, the, you know, the, the, the follow-up question to all of that is, okay, we didn't get Bielsa, but when you talk about it in the context of he wasn't even approached, it makes sense and aligns with what both and Gallup were saying when they rolled out Van Marwijk, which was he was our first first choice appointment in the short term. And then when Graham Arnold was announced, they said, well, he's our first choice long-term appointment. Yes. So I, mean, I want to bring it back to these games. We, we saw what happened in Norway. Now, as of this morning, um, Australia drew nil-nil mm -hmm. with Colombia at Craven Cottage in London. The, the contrast and the differences in performances, Foz... Uh, a little bit better organised. Um, I thought we were much more aggressive physically this morning, which suits Van Marwijk. You saw how his Dutch team played, so I think he's also fired them up there and, and um, there's a bit of a get-stuck-in mentality as well. Um, the first game was very... The first half was very scrappy then um, because the South Americans and Colombia will also do similarly. Uh, in the second half, we started to really get opened up. But my general impression is this, that we're playing a system of play which doesn't really cause them a problem. And we're relying very much on a few individuals. And if you look at the chances, few and far between they were. I mean, I only remember Massimo had an outstanding game. Why was he so good is because on a short pitch, we uh, on a narrow field against a, a, a very good opponent who are physically strong and, and skilled with no space and no extra numbers. So in other words, we're not creating any superiority around the ball. So we're always getting it to someone. They've always got someone close. Mm. He was the only player that actually was able to operate at real speed technically and go past people when necessary. And that was unbelievable because that's what we've become now. We've become just a standard, really standard team. I don't think we've got anything special going on tactically. He He's obviously decided, well, I don't know what he's got, but uh, he's obviously just decided I can't do anything too complex because uh, we're, we're not moving anyway. Mm. Um, and all we're trying to do is get the wingers go one-on-one -on -one or occasional fullbacks. And then Bayich went past someone on the left. So we've got to beat someone now in order to make something happen. And I don't think that gives us the best opportunity to do much. The reason being is because we're still in a position where most of the players that we're coming up against in the top teams are in they'll, some way superior. They'll beat you one-on-one. -on -one. Right, so mm. we have to create something additional as a team and that's where your system of play and your movements are so important. And that is 
um, quite honestly, where the Dutch coaches are falling down right now. I want to talk about some individuals that um, featured in the starting 11 uh, across both games. Bash, Naboot, uh, we also saw Petrados, uh, Vuka in goals, Danny Vukovic, uh, Brad Jones. Mm. He played in the first half and then Vuka was brought on in the second, almost cost us, uh, but then managed to redeem himself in that. Uh, your assessment of them? Um, Jones looked nervous early. I think it was a big moment for him after so long in the international wilderness, but he looked nervy. He did settle it a little bit. I think Danny, positionally in the second half, was exposed a couple of times, obviously for the, the penalty. He did well to save. Um, but I think it's great. Like he, I think he first went into Socceroos camp in 2006. Hmm. And we know, you know, with his son Luca, how much how many issues he had, they overcome that. He's gone to Belgium, he's reinvigorated his, his foreign career and, and, and I hope he does really well. I really do hope he pushes for a World Cup selection. I'm not sure that they're any closer to getting a, um, an answer to number one. I, I don't think Matt Ryan should be just, you know, taken out of that position. I think he should still be the number one. Andrew Naboot, I think, showed some signs. I, I felt sorry for him against Norway because he was very isolated and in a foreign position for him, he likes to peel wide and, and, and come back in. That's his game. Mass Luongo, as Foz said, he was outstanding. Really, really good. And, and no Aaron Moy in this side yeah, either. And I, and I think that's going to be a really interesting argument. In this system, how do you fit them all in? With Moy, uh, Luongo, yeah, you can't. Foz, you can't? Simple? Oh, well, um, when you used to play uh, Luongo sometimes, even at right wing, but that's because he's essentially a midfielder who you're putting out there. Mm. He can press a little bit and he can tuck inside and then your fullback goes. So you can play midfielders at wing, but not in this system because, no, because your sixes are going nowhere and so you're reliant mm -hmm. on your wingers um, at trying to get behind um, or they only come in inside so far. Um, you know, they're not coming into playing midfield. They're only coming in to open a little bit up for your fullbacks to try and go, mm -hmm. right? So the, wing, the, the, the profile of the wingers has changed now. Um, they've become real wingers. He needs speed with these wingers now. They can't be what we, we had before. Before is about creating superiority in midfield. This is not. This is now just about trying to play uh, in a positional sense, find your winger so he can go one-on-one, -on -one, or occasionally in a transition moment you can find Juric yep. and maybe the defender steps in, makes a bad decision, and you can get a left-footed shot from a bad angle. Mm. That's basically what it's at. Can I just, before I forget, I just want to make one point about the coaching, right? And it is this, that we also, and I mean all our culture and every, all of us are increasingly becoming to blame though as well with this appointment. And I'll tell you why, it's because um, it's clear and, and you know, when, when, when Van Marwijk was appointed, I talked a little bit about the Dutch coaching methodology and where they're at right now. Okay, they're struggling. Have a look at how many Dutch coaches are around all of the countries now and in the top leagues. There's virtually none. Is that fair? Hmm. Yeah. So their, their era came to an end around Hiddink, and then after that, they've got De Boer. He went across to Italy, struggled, blah, blah, blah. But he's basically the only one, and they're not doing anything else. So that tells you a lot. The Germans are coming through. The Argentines are doing really well. So have a look at what's happening around the world. It's not happening in Holland, okay? So they don't offer us anything anymore. We've got a basic plan from them, and but as yet we're not to build on that plan. That's our problem. It's not the Dutch fault. It's our fault because we're not... They, they haven't found anyone or capable of actually building on the plan. We mm. could have doubled that plan by now, and I'm talking about the curriculum. We could have easily doubled it. But anyway, the problem is this, that if a Aloisi or Muscat or Milicic, I'm not sure if he's ready, but um, or Ocon, who came through in the under-20s, and I thought in many ways was impressive at Central Coast, if any of these, or Popovich, was appointed to take this World Cup, what would have been the reaction? So is it, was it much easier simply for FFA to just appoint an overseas guy as basic as this football is because it's palatable to the country and to football fans? What do you think? I, I, like I said, I think they've made an easy choice in their eyes. Okay, but why easy? So what I'm saying is if they had appointed Muscat, mm. what do you think would have been the... Well, b because Van Marwijk has taken his nation okay. to a World Cup final, okay. I think that... In was the, that the appeal, Bash? Yeah, but I'm I saying, think okay, in the but view, if they appointed one here, do you think it was palatable now? I, I do, yeah. I think it was. Okay. I think it was better to take a risk with a, a Tony Popovich would have been my choice to take Australia yeah. to the World Cup. Yeah. Because he would have done a better job. I think he would have. And the thing about Van Marwijk, they've appointed him because, in the view of 
them and, and perhaps in their view of the Australian public, he has the credits all lined up because he's okay. got Holland to a World Cup final. OK, so the thing is, that's my question. So the question is, are we still, and I think we are, still at a point now where we're not able to assess the different types of football? And so... Uh, Van Marwijk is palatable with his son-in-law Van Bommel and I joke, you know, his, his uncle's probably sitting on the bench <laughs> and everyone else, right? It's exactly what we, you know, you go pay an exorbitant amount of money for a team to come in to change everything because they don't really think we're capable of doing much rather than appointing someone from here who, if you really look at the, the, the football that he's doing and what, what some of the top guys are doing in the A-League, it's actually superior. Okay, and they know the players, and they would have been capable of setting up, I believe, something better than what's occurring right now. So, okay, who do we level the blame at? If you want to call it blame, who needs to accept responsibility for this? We know it's FFA, but who in particular? Well, ultimately, it comes down to um, the chairman. I mean, he seems to be making the decision. Then they had the committee... Um, but he, but, 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 but Foz, it wouldn't be Lowy that's sitting there that's the saying, OK, we're going to go out and we're going to get Van Marwijk. He's obviously got people within FFA's ranks that have come to him. They, they developed this consultative board. They had Schwarzer on there. They had Bresciano on there, a staff of nine, I'm told. Yeah. No, the problem, uh, is, the, the board. The problem to... is the board. I'll okay. tell you why. It's because it doesn't matter who you have in the management positions and it doesn't matter who you put on the committee. Because they're, you know, those ex-players are predominantly good people who, who are, were doing their best. You have to, in the end, understand the game, and you have to understand the differences about where we were, what we had, what we were given, what we've done with it, what we don't have, what this guy is going to give, and what we're currently doing in the domestic uh, scenario. And if you're telling me that the board of FFA understand that. Well, well co the committee must. But then, but presumably, they must have. Uh, they must have um, endorsed uh, Van Marwijk as, a, as an appointment. But they would have been. But my point is, is that they would have at some point well, hang on, had to you have say, been told. Didn't you say that Lowy and David Gallup came out and said it was our first? Uh, it was our first choice. Our but I want choice. to get to the root of who made this decision. Okay, like I said, there was a there, there was a, a group of nine people that were put onto this consultative board to make the decision. But then, what of people like Luke Cassidy? Yeah. What about Eric Abrams? Oh, right, well, the national yeah. the national technical director. Yeah. What hand did they have in this? Because the board right. could, didn't just come to a conclusion on their own. They had people advising them. Okay. Who who would they have been for? Well, I don't know what the position of Eric Abrams is. I don't know, quite frankly, what he does and I don't know what influence or authority he has. Um, Luke Cassidy is certainly a central figure. He's the head of uh, performance or, or head of national teams, whatever he is now. Um, so he's one of the central figures, definitely. Um, but I think uh, then they've, they've put a committee together. Like, I would question that. I think you already should have had a plan anyway. Um, but ultimately, if you come out and say, well, this guy, when he, when he, Stephen Lowe, said, when this guy became available, it was like our greatest dream come true because he's the he perfect guy. I believe he said the moon's aligned. Okay, so there you go. So ultimately, you're responsible. Now, the thing is, let's hope that he gets to the World Cup and that, and that we, we do well. Let's hope that we get out of the group. The sorry thing about Australian football is that's all it's about now. So if that happens, um, then Stephen Lowe will feel that he's done a fabulous job. Whereas I'll feel that Tony Popovich could have done it and probably could have done a better job. Actually, Why? I believe he could have done a better job. Why do you believe he could have done a better job? Because, because let's I bear in mind we've not, yet kicked a, we've not yet kicked a ball in Russia. Yeah, because... You've already ridden it off, to be fair. No, I haven't ridden it off. I haven't ridden it off at all. I, I believe that we can get out of the group. I don't. I think it's our best group that we've probably ever had in a World Cup. And, and I think that we can get out... Um, you know, I think if Timmy plays against Peru, we can beat them. No, I don't believe we're, that we're going there to be beaten at all. But why could all. have... I want to go back to that. Why could have Tony Popovich done a better job? Because I believe that our top local coaches now will provide more variation than what these guys are doing, OK? I think they understand the mentality better and I think that they have more variation in their game. And it's it's difficult for people to understand that because it's easy to say, oh, this guy has been to a World Cup final. But if you read the game and you look at the way his teams play and look at what our guys are doing with players of far, far less quality, they're moving ahead tactically. In fact, the truth is in Australia that 
the the limited because the quality of players is of a limited level and i'm being respectful to our players here um it's forcing the coaches to be more creative more innovative and more thorough and more professional than most of the coaching cultures around the world does that make sense Mm. i actually said to abrams last year i said you know what's going to be funny is when we start producing fantastic players it's it's actually going to have a, a negative effect on our coaching quality and he looked at me like i was psychotic because <laughs> what i try to explain to him is currently and this includes both youth and senior you have to absolutely coach to the nth degree you have to coach the build-up you have to coach the first touch in the build-up you have to coach the positioning the turning out the, the seeing people the movement the Reading mentality, the game, everything. The team culture, everything has to be done. And the reality is of of many of the coaching culture around the world, if if the players don't suit, you just buy another few, right? So we're actually starting to produce some really creative, skilled and professional coaches uh, that if they start going to Europe soon in the right environments, uh, then they're actually going to start to do really well. So why aren't coaches getting this opportunity? Because they're partly because they're Australian, right? So what happens is, if you know, no it's one cares stig- about us. There's a stigma. Of course there is. So if you want to go, that's why my great hope was Paolo Ocon. I thought he might go to Italy when he started coaching. Papa, you know, go back to Palace where you're at, and we know he had an opportunity to do so. But didn't want to go reportedly no, because too, yeah. he, he wasn't ready. That's okay. And and Muskie can get back to Europe because he's got a number of clubs in England who he was a hero there, and my hope is that he'll take one of them one day. We need the players to go back where they played because they're not going to get there as an Australian. They're going to get there as a former player of that particular club. And we've got a lot of them, um, but this generation's coming through well-trained. Bash, what is the stigma then that you spoke of that's oh, just, attached to the Australian coaches? Well, you know, if you, you haven't played in Europe at a, a top level, I think there's there's a, you know, you look at the English press, they characterise the um, the A League and covered it with a, you know, with a um, like an outback hat with corks hanging off off a string. You know, they, they they think that's the level of football here, and when they see the A League, you know, it's a lesser quality player. Uh, trying to play football you know in the best possible way so the, the, obviously it's a lesser standard but it doesn't mean the coaches are any less skilled and I think they do infuse a lot of different cultural um, injections of, of, of the view of football and I agree I think the Dutch way is not the, should not be the way that we play football I think it should it be it never was the way yeah it never was the way all it was was a basic plan and that should have been added to immediately in fact it was only a year later where already we were talking about what what you're adding to it Mm. because even others have taken a similar plan. Spain took Mm. the plan off Holland, right? But they improved it. And the problem for Australia is it's still sitting there Mm. and no-one's added to it. You know what? For for a largely cynical sporting audience and football sporting audience in Australia, what you need to do is is you need to have a narrative behind your plan. And in 2014, we played some very good football, but we lost the three group matches, right? Mm. But since then, leading up to the Asian Cup and beyond, there's never been an explanation of what's... What 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 Postacoglu wanted to achieve with the national team, what the future plans were for the national team, and so forth. That's the big problem. So, so this is the point. So, so the, it all seems the as though want, they've all the, all the coaches that are being appointed essentially have free reign to do what they like. Because well, they there's now. yeah, because there's not enough. Like that, there is leadership and 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 vision, but then they're very prepared to throw that vision out the window. So there's no real conviction of, in what they want. What do you mean? Where's leadership and vision? Well, I'm saying in having that plan with Postacoglu, I think there was a leadership and vision in in appointing him to a long-term view. Well, there's a, there, there was a curriculum in 09 yeah. which says that Australia is to play a proactive style. All of the elements of that are to win the ball as high as possible, as quickly as possible, close to the opponent's goal, uh, to build up from the back, to use the attackers as the first line of defenders. It's all very simple. It's all there in black and white. So and who it's been ex- there for almost 10 years so now. So who executed that plan? Of the coaches that have come in since that was um, that mandate was, in, was given out in yeah. 2009, Foz, yeah. who's executed it? Um, well, only Ange Postacoglu played according to the philosophy and um, the junior national teams have attempted to do so. 
Uh, and what will be interesting to me now is to see whether it's only been thrown out at uh, senior level or whether they're going to throw it out also at junior level. Throw it up and start again. Mm. So why not go for an Australian coach? We know, you, you know you've characterised what the impressions of Australian coaches are like here externally, yeah. but why is that stigma permeated throughout the ranks at FFA and forced them to consider going out rather than looking in? It's a question for them, of course, yeah, but, really what's, but, them. but why? Why so this persistence? Suddenly they, we, they had an inferiority complex about, about the coach to take well, us to Well, they did. They have appointed Graham Arnold. Yeah, but yeah. I'm just talking so about yeah. this World Cup. Okay. They really should get him. I think they wanted him, and the CDFC wouldn't let him go. Okay. Yeah. So I believe they wanted him to be there. Um, that's my understanding anyway, uh, because Graham Arnold came out and said, oh, yeah, I've been spoken to and blah, blah, blah. And then Sydney FC said, well, we weren't aware of that. So they obviously they didn't approach the club yeah. first, which would be normal. And then that became a problem. And then all of a sudden Arnold's off the table. Uh, and so then what do you do? So uh, why go out then? Again, he's not yeah. the, Aus- the only yeah. Australian coach. Like you've said, it could yeah. have been either Muskie or, yeah. you know, I mean, he's got his own contractual yeah, yeah. obligations to Melbourne yeah. Victory, but yeah. Tony Popovich free after he got sacked at Karabuk Sport. Yeah, so no, there's there's little there's no difference in the football for what Ben Marwijk would bring to many Australian coaches, and I think there's a number who would play better football. Um, what he does bring to them, obviously, is experience of managing a major tournament, and the Australian guys don't have that unless it's at youth level. Um, nevertheless, you know we're going to have to see because that's what we're relying on now. Uh, but in the end, though, if you have a plan. But see, the thing was, this is how confused it is, because Luke Cassidy, uh, the, the you know, head of national teams, my understanding was he said that this guy's philosophically aligned. Was it Luke who said that or someone said that? Someone from FFA said, oh, no, we believe that... Because you asked him. I did. I you said, said, did I they sat talk down. to you about the way of playing? And he said, no, they didn't Did they anything. give you any instruction? Point blank, he said, no. So I think it's extraordinary. Spider spoke the other day, said, you can't say that. I, I, think, I think that's ridiculous. To not ask a... Co- not request and require from a coach to do something in particular as a nation, to me, is unbelievable. But doesn't that come from, why approach me then, as a coach, why approach me if I'm not philosophically aligned with you? Well, that's exactly right. That's the point. That's the situation that we're in here. Exactly. The timing timing of this meant that they almost had to chuck any philosophical argument out the window and say, what is the best short-term... Because they obviously didn't have Arnold for the World Cup. They needed. Yeah, they even were conf- Graham is a philosophical approach. I understand change, that, but, right? but yeah. obviously they didn't think Australian coaches were ready to take the Socceroos to a World Cup. And well, be- no, they thought apparently they thought Graham was ready because he did have international experience before. He did do an Asian mm. Cup and so on. I'm talking about other coaches. If oh. yeah, other coaches. Um, well, I guess so. Yeah, I guess so. So that's probably why. And I would they they see they see Van Marwijk coach Saudi Arabia to direct qualification, have an understanding of the Socceroos, have World Cup experience, box tick, box tick, box tick. Let's appoint him for the short term. Yeah. Yeah. And just, you know, let's park philosophy to the side. Okay, so let's talk about the expectations now around how we're going to perform at the Mm. World Cup. Foz, you and I um, managed Mm. to get onto the topic briefly while Mm -hmm. we were on air earlier for Peruvi Mm -hmm. Iceland, Mm -hmm. but I want to get into to greater detail now and who's going to give us the biggest problems because ultimately when the draw came out, you and I sat down um, and had a look at it. I was thrilled. And we were thrilled because we thought this for the first time, we as a a footballing nation have been so used to drawing the group of death that ultimately this puts us in a better position now where we think actually we have a fighting chance of coming out of this. That's right. That's what we thought at the time of the draw. What do we think now after this round of recent uh, friendlies that we've seen, namely with Peru and their performances? I'm I'm much more concerned. Um, mind you, I was concerned near the end, um, also we, through the qualification campaign, because I thought we were conceding a lot of chances, and at times we were relying on the keeper a lot. Um, nevertheless, this is different. Now we're giving the initiative to the opponent a lot, and I think that that means we're going to be against France. I think we're going to need a lot of luck now. Um, I think we're going to need the keeper to have a great day because I believe that France are definitely going to have chances with us playing this way. Uh, In spite of the fact that they are slow starters in a tournament? Well, let's hope that they're really, really (laughs) slow. Um, But also I think that we are going to create less. So when I said we're playing the margins now, I think we just become a really standard, simple system of play. Um, 
that if they start causing us a problem, we, we start getting pulled around. So for instance, yesterday uh, with, um, or was it Norway, even Norway, if you watch the game back, particularly on the right-hand side, I know um, Yusani, was it, giving us problems on the left, but on the right-hand side, they're just pulling their six out and they were just doing a bit of rotation, very simple rotation on the right-hand side, and they were getting through us a lot. Mm. Yeah, and so they didn't get wonderful chances out of it, but a better team will. Um, and then what, what I saw from uh, Peru this morning was that they're also making some movements, and, um, and all of a sudden, Colombia... Colombia also, even in the first half, Colombia were pulling one of their sixes out, yeah, and they were sort of making a back three. I think, from what I could see, it looked like a three-four-three three with two, two other midfielders inside and with the ball. With the ball, and all of a sudden they were playing through on our right-hand side, playing in behind Risden four or five, six times. Do you remember that? I was early this morning. I think I'm not hallucinating. I hope but <laughs> no. it's been a long day, but. And I was thinking, okay, that's a team with just a little bit of movement, able to pull us around, and all of a sudden they're going to play through. And France are, are, are brilliant at that. And we're not presenting them enough problems. So therefore, I think we're going to need a lot of luck. We're going to need the keeper to do well. We're going to need to take our chances, probably get ahead in games so that we can hang on a bit. Um, and it's going to be one of those real nail biters. Um, and it's going to be a lot of hope I'm going to be praying rather than being saying okay I'm proud of the fact that we're going to come here and go at, go at everyone and let's see what comes out at the end let's see what we need to improve on let's see where we're at and I, be I actually believe that if we go at these three nations you know, we can beat two of them no, no one can tell me we can't beat Denmark and uh, I believe we can beat Peru. But I am worried if we sit like we're doing at the moment. Here's uh, another way to look at things, Bash. Let's say that we do go there, um, and this is only hypothetically because we've already seen what we can expect from Van Marveik and his approach. Let's say we were to go at these nations, to go at the likes of Peru, of Denmark, of France, and we cop three or four goals. What would the consequences of that be um, I guess from a perception perspective, would people be more pleased that we actually went there and had a go? Or if we walked out of those matches and only copped one or two goals? Well, if we, I presume you're saying under Van Maiwai. So Correct. if we cop three goals uh, under his um, coaching methods, then presumably we wouldn't be proactive in doing so. No, but hypothetically and I'm saying if we went if we to the were... tournament and we actually had a go and we copped three or four goals... Well, I followed most of his matches at 2010 with, with the Dutch and he was very conservative, but incredibly just, conservative. Just, so just I don't think he's... in a way, what would the perception be? Do we want the country to go there and play attacking football and cop three yeah, or four we, goals? Absolutely. Or do we well, want us to come back and have only conceded maybe one or two in a game? I, I, think you want, I think you want this team under this coach to be proactive at times but be, be very um, sensible about the way you do it against the France, for example. If you show them too much, then they're going to hit you very, very quickly. Um, if you defend too deep, then that's that's fraught with danger as well. So, you know, under his coaching, you've got to you've got to be circumspect about the way you approach the opponent. Uh, I agree. Peru and Denmark are there potentially. If we bring our best game under Van Marwijk together, they can be beaten, and we can get out of the group. But you know, France is going to be really difficult. If we cop them on a good day, we're going to have to have everything aligned to, to be competitive. Foz, anything else to add? Um, so it depends. And this is where, you know, um, Spider and I sort of take um, opposing? opposing views. Where, uh, you know, he played in Italy, he's a goalkeeper. And so it's the best way to defend is defend. Whereas I believe the best way for Australia to defend is to stop the opponent playing. And... Um, we went to the Confed Cup, was it last year? Yep. And we had Chile and and we had... Uh, My word, we were good against Cam Chile, by the way. Uh, who the who? Africans. Uh, Cameroon. Cameroon. Yep. Cameroon. And, um, okay, take Germany aside because at that time, I, I my personal view is that the back three wasn't working for us. Um, even, in a, even in an aggressive, attacking manner, I think we could have been better defensively. But it worked against Chile. Because... 
there's only my personal view, but sometimes it's appropriate to the game and sometimes it's not. That's why I like back three and back four. Mm. And that's why one of the reasons when I heard the, you know, the commentary the other night, Van Marwijk's taken over and the much maligned back three has been thrown out, I thought, oh, God's no. sake, surely we've gone past that. Mm. So it depends on what they're playing, depends on what you can play. But this is where you have to have te- tactical flexibility. That's what I think should happen. So, for instance, in the game against Norway, it was actually the perfect game to have a back three. Mm. Huh? Whereas in other games, it's not, particularly when they play one up front, when, when it can give you some problems. So, or three up front. So, um, anyway, the, the issue is um, that we... The thing that really concerns me is if you don't have... That's why you said leadership and vision, and I said, where? Where is it? So, it, to me, it doesn't exist. This is the problem, yeah. though. Underpinning leadership all and of vision, this, this is the issue. That's, management is about leadership and vision. It's mm. about those two things. And if people at the top don't hold firm to a plan, the plan is dead in the water. Mm. This plan is dead in the water. So it simply worries me because I don't know what the future looks like. I hope we get out here, but that doesn't mean anything for the next World Cup. No. Because the next World Cup's playing differently, Mm. and then the one after that's playing differently again, and the one after that's playing differently. Mm. So as far as I'm concerned, we're back to where we were. We're really largely back to square one, uh, and we don't know... There is no plan. Bash, one final question. Of course, we do have uh, a few other friendlies coming up. The training camp is going to take place in Turkey and we've got uh, matches scheduled against Hungary and the Czech Republic. Uh, Can we still reserve a bit of our judgment? We've seen two of Australia's games under Van Marwijk. Can we expect to see more improvement? Should we hold back a little bit more until we see those two games at the very least? Expect to see improvement under his his structure. So exactly. if, if the players adjust to his structure and they can be effective, right? I've got no doubt about that. But are we going to play expansive, attractive football? No, we're not. Um, are we going to be able to deal with opponents at the World Cup? That remains to be seen. I think it's one of those things that... You know, we applauded Ange Postacoglu in 2014 for playing a proactive style, right? And we, and at times played some very nice football. But we still lost three matches. We learned a lot, and I think that's a great lesson to learn. About. Conceded three goals in each of those matches too, by the way. Yeah, I understand that. That was the beginning of his journey. My fascination of what he could have done at this World Cup, we'll never know. And that's the big frustration because he did struggle in qualifying for a whole raft of reasons. Maybe because he he, he asked too much of the players within the structures he was he was coaching. I don't know. I'm not a you know, I'm not a coach, but for me, it was it was almost like he was asking players to go way out of their comfort zone in systems that they weren't adjusting to. So you to, in a tournament like the World Cup, you take I'm sorry to say your park philosophy, but I, I, when I look at these tournaments, I go, how is Australia going to get out of the group? And with this coach, you just go, well, they have to adopt his structures mm-hmm. and systems in the most effective way possible. Yeah, mm-hmm. so they should. Yeah, absolutely. Gentlemen, David Bashir, Craig Foster, thank yeah. you so much for your thoughts. There is Thanks, still so much more to discuss, of course. But uh, we do, underpinning all of this, we do wish the Australians all the very best. We want to see them do well at the World Cup. We are always and forever will be proud of our national team. But uh, some interesting times lie ahead. Uh, for now, though, it's time to wrap things up. On behalf of myself here and the entire team at the World Game, it's goodbye for now.